electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money, and here's what's on tap tonight. Another set of records on Wall Street, the S&P rising above the 100 market, 150-100 market there for the first time ever, while the Dow added another 60-plus points. The Nasdaq hit the highest level since November of 2021 before the day ends in the red. But will the winners that propelled the week's gains keep the rally running into the new week? We'll debate that coming up. Plus, Stealthy Staples, the group quietly posting economy-sized gains and the leading leading the major S&P sectors this week, even beating out big technology by the time things were done. Are these stocks you should, well, you know, stock up on? And then later on, another Friday night edition of Would You Rather. This time we're pitting this year's big market winners against their underperforming rivals. If you had to pick just one, which would it be? The traders lay out their choices. I'm Dominic Chu, and for Melissa Lee tonight, coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ market site. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Carter Braxton Worth, Bono and Eisen, and Mike Coe, you can see there. But first, we're going to start with what might be the most important stock in the market. And no, it's not NVIDIA. Sure, NVIDIA's had a big week. The stock touched a $2 trillion market cap level for the first time today on continued follow-through from its blowout earnings. The company seeing data center revenues more than quintuple in the latest quarter and gave such strong guidance that one analyst raised his target price to $1,400 a share. That's over 75% more upside from here. But a smaller semiconductor stock might be even more consequential, at least according to one of our traders. It produces most of the world's most advanced chips and is opening its first plant in Japan this weekend. Its products are being used in everything from autonomous driving to artificial intelligence. So what is it? Tim, why don't you tell us? Well, it, it, yeah, look, NVIDIA is the most important company in the world right now. But Taiwan Semi, at least at least for the market, NVIDIA is. But for strategically and almost geopolitically, Taiwan Semi, to me, is is one of the companies that I think many folks around the world, especially uh, focus on Japan, where they're going to open their first plant. They're making investment in their second plant, so fabrication. And this is really important for Japan to get kind of back into the Semi game, where they once were probably a dominant player in the 80s, 90s. But again, as those stats showed, Taiwan Taiwan Semi's making 60% of the global semiconductors, 90% of the most advanced ones. At a time when the U.S. is luring Taiwan Semi to Arizona to help Intel to build plants, fabrication, foundry, um, that's that's the story. At a time when uh, people are very concerned about U.S.-China geopolitics, people worried about concentrations, and semiconductors are a strategic uh, kind of asset, a strategic dynamic, certainly around economies. Japan has recognized that. Taiwan Semi has said, by the way, well, 
Arizona build out in the U.S. is slowing down. Uh, what's going on in Japan was record time. It was a very efficient build out. Both the Japanese and Taiwan semi are saying, hey, this is a great story for us, too. And I think there's a lot of competition to lure Taiwan semi, who, again, is, is essentially a contract producer for a number of players around the world. I, I would just make an argument that it's 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 one of the most important companies in the world that obviously people know about. Um, but you, you have to understand what's going on right now. It's a mad scramble globally for semiconductors. Obviously, NVIDIA was the story of the week, and it should be. You know, if there's anything that we learned during the supply chain crisis, it's that supply chains matter, right? And so Bonowens, Taiwan Semi, strategically has to be one of those companies. That's just huge. Absolutely. I mean, I think the, the overhang on the stock really has been essentially that, that uh, geopolitical risk with China. I mean, that's really probably weighed the stock. I really wonder where it would be if that weren't there. I would, uh, up 50 percent, at least, I would probably argue. Um, so listen, I, I do think strategically it is like uh, one of those assets. I will say that with the whole geopolitical overhang and the move towards uh, onshoring domestically, I do think that there might be some market share taken. Now, I do think that several years out, the CapEx and development that are going to be needed to build those foundries out for Intel, for example, are going to take some time. But I do think that people do have their eye on this ball in particular. With that said, up until that time, and with data centers and now inference type of computing, um, driving up demand for these chips, I do think uh, Taiwan is in a good strategic place and will be in a better strategic place once they're able to diversify themselves from, away from Taiwan. So, Mike Ko, can we go to you now? I want to talk a little bit about where you're seeing some of the action. Do you see traders kind of sizzling around some of these technology names, specifically within chips? Is this the one? Is NVIDIA? Is Taiwan Semi? Which ones are the ones seeing the most action? Well, NVIDIA is definitely seeing the most action. There's no doubt about that. And in fact, you know, we use that as an input as a part, along with some of our fundamental analysis. When we're trying to pick what stocks to be in, and we're actually in NVIDIA. So, uh, you know, I'd, I'd obviously have to say, although I have to admit, I'm also getting a little bit antsy here. We're, we've obviously had quite a run. It's feeling a little bit uh, parabolic to me. And so it's, uh, it's easy to be kind of like a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs when you get this kind of action. Taiwan Semi, to uh, Tim's point, I mean, this is also kind of, I, I think it hasn't really gotten much play as a, a remarkable growth story. I mean, we are talking about 20% annualized EPS growth. And this is another one that trades probably 100,000 contracts a day. That's the equivalent of 10 million shares. So you're definitely getting some bullish flow in there. And it's, it's seeing about double the uh, call volume over put. So there's bullish sentiment for sure. All right, let's talk Carter momentum. Long-tailed cat, though. Yeah. I, I, wanted to I was this. picturing that. that if you had a long-tailed cat and there are rocking chairs everywhere, I mean, it could go badly for Should they worry, though? Should should, they... Should, do people feel like they're long-tailed cats with this tech trade and, and right, chip stocks exactly. in general? Hard to know. But I think one thing's important. That Taiwan Semi and ASML are the two sort of big non-U.S. names that are, are very, very important to the whole space. Not to say there aren't others, but these are the two. And Taiwan Semi just this week was able to eke out all-time highs, the actual Taiwan Semi in Taiwan, versus TSM, of course, which is the ADR denominated in dollars. It's still some 10% below its all-time high. And the presumption is it plays catch-up. So let's talk a little bit more about why it's so important for this trade and everything else. Tim, 
is there something to be said for whether or not this thing is overdone at this point? Well, I, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to get in there and say overdone. I mean, the, the numbers speak for themselves. The valuation, if you're doing it on a revenue basis, but based upon the growth they've said. You guys have been doing this all week. Uh, I'll just point out that I think there are other parts of the market right now that are saying uh, it's not all about NVIDIA. And if you look at where we are, in fact, I, I would make an argument as the Dow hit all-time highs. Uh, Dow has is, is certainly held serve against the S&P over the last six months. And we, we always want to talk about this broadening. It's, it's, at least we want to see broadening of the market. And, and the dynamic, what you've seen, is we, we know about Disney's numbers. We know about GM's numbers. Uh, Walmart had great numbers this week. They talked a lot about the dynamics around higher ticket charges where uh, they have inventory back. So, you know, to me, I, I, I look at other parts of the market, industrials, financials, have outperformed the S&P. So if you took away NVIDIA, and that's a big takeaway, and this was their week, um, it, it's a very interesting market here because I, I would make an argument that we have gotten some of that broadening. And also, Mike. it's important to say this, the, the semis, despite their fantastic performance, remember, they still have not recouped their relative losses from the dot-com peak to the tech sector. So it's been great, but you still are not able to overcome the losses associated with the dot-com peak to present versus the entire tech sector. It's interesting, Mike. The other point here as well is a lot of traders look at semiconductor stocks as a leading indicator for tech and by proxy the entire market. Just how important will this tech trade be specifically with chip stocks to this narrative if there is a bull one going forward? So I, I think actually the point that uh, Tim was making is a really important one. You know, people complain that the market has been led by a relative handful of stocks, and that's largely been true. And then, of course, he pointed out that, you know, I mean, Walmart obviously has been a well-performing stock and they have good results. You know, they, uh, you know, we saw 8%, 12% better numbers on revenues and EPS there. But the interesting thing, of course, to me was actually Home Depot, which also reported on Tuesday morning before the open and this is a name where we've seen four sequential uh, quarters of declining revenues. But what's interesting here is that despite that, uh, the stock actually caught a bid. Now, that's a name that we also own. And I think what that indicates to me, when you start seeing uh, people buy news that isn't really all that great, thinking maybe the worst is behind them, I think that's kind of a positive sign. Okay, Bonowin, one other place in the market that has seen some of this under outperformance over the past week is materials, mm -hmm. while energy itself has been a huge underperformer. Do we like the fact that materials are part of that broadening out story that we're seeing? I think thematically we do. When you see you know, inflows into materials, you're essentially saying this is like a bullish um, bet on the economy. So clearly, I think all sectors want us to have an economic robust type of forward-looking uh, thesis. With that said, there are still other parts of the market that do give me pause, small caps, for example. If we are going to see this real economic follow through, you would expect to see a lot more flow in there. And I do understand that they have a certain amount of um, exposure to the, the banking system. And I understand that they have their own credit challenges and access to capital challenges. But to me, that will be the real telltale sign that people have bought in fully into the economic narrative. All right. So. One top money manager suggests it's hard to fight NVIDIA's bullish force in the market. Ben Emmons is the senior portfolio manager and head of fixed income at New Edge Wealth. Uh, ben, you've heard the conversation so far. Is NVIDIA the most important stock on planet Earth? I think that's what the Goldman's trading desk called it earlier this week. Yeah, it is a really good acronym. I think, you know, if you think step back from a macro perspective, you take NVIDIA as its impact on the broader market. You know, it's beta to the market, it's like over two to one, right? So it has a real impact 
as we saw. And as that that's happening, the financial conditions have started to loosen now quite a bit. I mean, in fact, that financial conditions index is at the 2021 high when we had a, apparently a bubble in the market. So that financial conditions is going to affect the economy. And it's, I think, happening. And maybe to Bonneman's point and, and to um, uh, Carter's point, like you're seeing other stocks reacting now that are the real economy. So I think is it, there's something going on from NVIDIA spilling over to the broader market and then to the economy. But there's a, there's a balancing point, right? You, you have NVIDIA stock doing what it's doing, but you've also got interest rates, both medium and longer term, continuing to go higher. That's tightening, right? So in your fixed income and equity hat, how does it all play out from a balance perspective? So this is really interesting that one stock can actually affect interest rate expectations. Because I was looking at that, like how NVIDIA changed with the stock, what's happening with the you know, rate cuts being priced in. So over the last sort of, say, two weeks that NVIDIA has really exploded, we've had taken out roughly about one rate cut out of, the, out of, the, out of yields, right? So... Now, that's not all NVIDIA, obviously, but it's the idea of that NVIDIA as being the, the important stock to the economy currently, affecting the economy, I guess, through financial conditions, that therefore yields will start to rise. And look, we've broken out of the 100-day the moving average on the 10-year at 435 today. That does open to, a, I think, a next move higher if the next rate cut gets to be priced out. So I think eyes are on NVIDIA and the effect on the economy, and rates are paying attention. Yeah, we're doing nothing uh, on interest rates in terms of expectations, really, out now through almost July. Um, and, and I guess, Ben, good news is, you know, good news for, for stocks has been good news. And that's great to see. Uh, one of the news stories that caught my eye today is that the Dutch Central Bank uh, had a, a minus 660% year-over-year loss. And whatever that really means, um, the point is that central banks are issuing at much higher rates and have an interest expense uh, that is far exceeding where they are in terms of interest income. Uh, the dynamics here, to me, are that the rest of the world is going to continue to see higher interest rates, and that's going to pull up rates here in the U.S. Japan is rumored to be going uh, in the March meeting to probably really officially moving away uh, from interest rate and yield curve targeting. Just thoughts on, because on, I, I agree with you, I think yields are going higher, and at some point I think equities are going to pay for it, but right now um, it, it, it feels very orderly and it feels interesting. Indeed, it's like, a, like an orderly move, and the position in interest rates is not so stretched currently, um, but I think to your point that like it's happening globally, let's pay attention to li- a little bit to China, right? They, they finally started a rally, there's up like, I think about 10% since the start of the month. Does that stimulus start to maybe affect their economy for real. And so you're getting this bit of emerging market dynamic here too, of economy starting to come alive, PMI data getting better. So global rates are starting to move up. And I think what we're dealing with is a situation where these rate cuts being priced in were clearly overextended when we started the year. They've been taken back. Now the scenario is on the table that we may not have any rate cuts at all this year. And if I listen to the Fed of the last 24 hours, they're getting quite doubtful about that they can actually cut rates this year, right? So that's not only- It should be. Right, and it's not only here, but it's in Europe too. So yes, I agree with you. We're probably in a, in a phase here. There's good news driving up yields. Obviously, at some point, you get the tightening, and that, that's not yet happening. What is driving? I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, look, it's always this way where people are expecting something. It's not what happens. We heard higher for longer. At, we crossed 5%. What happened? It drops to 38 on the 10-year. Basically, this isn't, isn't this the sweet spot for rates? Who cares if it's 5 or 4? You drop to 2, something's wrong on Main Street. You rally to 7% yields, you've got to change your DCF model and your assumptions for price targets. But sitting here at 4%, 4%, 4 and a quarter, it shouldn't matter. Yeah, I guess you, you, you're right, Carter, that you, you have, like, say, rates are at neutral, quote, unquote. Yes. Meaning, right, you know, the economy is growing above 
but potential inflation is trending slowly down. So rates are kind of reflecting that sort of neutral level. And the Fed is at five and a half. So, the, you know, some people say you, you're probably a little tight with the Fed here. But, you know, I think that long term, if you're going to go back to the Fed's neutral rate of the two and a half percent that they still have in that dot plot, then we're in an economy that's far weaker. So I guess we're sizzling nicely here with rates. You could probably go back to 5% just for the technicals that, we, that we, we were highlighting, but we're not really, let's say, overstretched. So the 7% scenario seems to be unlikely. It seems to be more Fair like right. ranging here in this 4, 45 up to 5 so, so the focus here seems to be squarely on rates, and, and one could argue rightfully so. But what about the dynamics in the credit market? We were speaking about that a little bit in the green room, um, and, and we haven't seen that credit blowout. And to me, I would argue that's at least, if not as important, secondarily, too, in terms of how, how the market's going to react um, and what sectors are going to be in or out of vogue. So can you speak a little bit in terms of what you're seeing in the credit space, both pub- public and private, and what those implications are for the market and perhaps even the MAG7? Yeah, so in credit itself, high yield spreads and, and, and investment grade spreads are really tight. And I think that's really a function of equity. You know, if, if equity continues to appreciate value, high yield spreads get tighter and tighter. But what you're mentioning in the private credit market, as we had a big move of money going into that, as companies cannot access anymore the, the syndicated bank loan market, those rates are really high still. I mean, you talk about private credit, roughly about 10 to 15%. High yield yields are roughly around seven and a half percent. So I do think there's a stress point there. You know that eventually, if if those companies cannot refinance or having trouble, that you're getting an issue there in that segment. But the public credit markets seem to be signaling more about if this equity market has this type of momentum, spreads are not going to really correct to the upside. It's actually going to likely get tighter. All right, Ben Emmons. New Wedge, thank you very much. Thanks for taking time on this Friday. You're welcome. Thank you. All right, guys. Meanwhile, it's not just the S&P and Dow at record highs. The MSCI All-Country World Index is now higher than the all-time highs it set back in January of 2022. The chart master, Carter Braxton Worth, what are the technicals saying for the international emerging markets and major indices here? Well, in the sense that, obviously, uh, there's a milestone. Milestones are important. The MSCI All-Country World Index is some $70 trillion versus the S&P, which is almost half that. Uh, it, this week, was able to get back to its former high of January of 2022, which is to say global equities, as of now, have finally recouped all of their losses associated with the 2022 bear market. And so the question is, obviously, uh, we saw that the Nasdaq composite, you mentioned that, Don, is also just now back to its forces, the S&P, which is 5% higher. Uh, From here, is it right to double back and find small cap and look for value or cyclicality? Or is it right to stick with growth? Because that index, the MSA All Country World Index, while it's dominated by U.S. stocks, still is not the same growth uh, uh, aspect that the S&P. Let's look at a chart or two and maybe uh, discern it together. And so what you'll see here is uh, the the index, which again is from 24 developed and 24 emerging uh, countries, about 3,000 stocks, and again, 70 trillion versus the S&P at 37, um, 40 trillion, right back to a former high. Let's put some lines on there, let's annotate it. And what we know is uh, it drops substantially, uh, 29%, it's up 40%, but that's how the math works. That simply gets you back to the former high. And so in principle, I would expect a lot of backing and filling here. Uh, before exceeding a former high, typically you contend with it. But as a milestone, and this is the point, it's not been as good 
as the picture of the S&P, as the picture of MAG7, the, all equities, as measured by this index, as by its market cap, have only just this week recouped their losses of two and a half years ago. What do you feel like, Tim? I feel like international is going to continue to run. I've loved Japan and Japan. Also, this was the week of Japan also Finally setting new records. Time, yeah. and, and I think it's also the IDVO is the international ETF I work on. And, and as someone that's been investing internationally, the dynamics here with a Fed that's peaked, with a dollar that's peaked, with inflation that at least for the near term is peaked. International growth, you had a decent week for EU PMIs. You had decent numbers out of Japan exports. You've had China picking it up. I, I think it's a great time to be investing. Mike Co. what do you think? Yeah, I like emerging markets in particular. EU was in my acronym, BRAVE, at the beginning of the year. And in the emerging market space, I like India best of all. That hit a 52-week high today. I think that's probably going to benefit from some shifts that we're seeing in where globalization benefits flow. All right, here we go for the international trade. Coming up on the show, thanks, guys. Uh, Sturdy Staples, the sector riding high since its October lows. Is there more room to run for that sector? We'll debate that coming up next. Plus, Carvana shares putting the pedal to the metal in a big way today, soaring more than 30%. We'll look under the hood at this name right after this. You're watching Fast Money here on CNBC. We'll be right back. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. While so much attention this week has focused on, of course, tech, and under-the-radar sectors actually outperformed big tech. It's consumer staples. Names like Colgate-Palmolive, Costco trading at all-time highs, Coca-Cola and Walmart up soundly as well, and XLP at Neville's not seen since August. Are these stocks investors should be shopping for? Maybe Bonwin, I'll look at you first because... It's cap-weighted. Walmart's probably the biggest influence on this. They had a big day, obviously, this week. So is Consumer Staples a place you would want to be? Uh, to an extent, certainly. I mean, you can't be completely concentrated in NVIDIA and Microsoft and Apple and Tesla and, and, and the, the rest of the, the, the cohort there. So, yeah, I do think particularly if you kind of have a, an, an anti type of view that you want something that is going to give some margin of safety. Now, there's an argument to be made that the, the valuations have reflected that perceived margin of safety. And so the upside isn't there. You just have to be understanding that you're investing here because you want a lower beta type of pocket in your portfolio. But you need to be willing to understand that you're giving up upside for that. So if you're willing to make that trade off, yes, I think it makes 
sense. If you're expecting this to outperform the mag five, is it now? Mag six? I think it's shrinking every day. Then I do think that's a bit of a fool's errand. All right. So, Carter, there's been a lot of buying activity, some decent runs and names we know. Sure. Would you believe it? Well, obviously, individual stocks can always uh, do well or not do well. But as an area of the market, this is an area that has low growth or no growth, both at the top line and and on an earnings basis. And we know the sector itself is 6% of the S&P, and yet Procter, what, Costco, Coke are probably a third of the entire sector. And if you look at relative performance, which is what alpha is all about, right, relative performance peaked uh, basically in 08-09 when the market was crashing, and it's been going straight down ever since. We made new sort of 10, 15-year relative lows this week. And so while there always can be a, a day or two while this is good because Apple's struggling, it's it just we should be able to do better, right? We should be able to work hard and come up with something more timely, more dynamic, with greater growth prospects and greater uh, sort of things ahead than these very defensive uh, classically defensive uh, stocks. In fact, and I'll end with this: the, when when we talk about defensive, people say, "Well, healthcare is defensive." Remember, healthcare didn't exist 150 years ago. That was bite the stick and we'll saw your leg off. There was no healthcare. What it was was soap and cereal. We have biscuit companies and soup companies. They're 200 years old in this country, and these are very dull businesses. Tim, soap and cereal. Tim, I, I mean, mean I, I, here's the thing. There you go. These guys are dividend payers. They are. And, and, and the interest rate picture and relative attractiveness of those dividends maybe is in question. At different times, right? In a lower rate environment, those dividends meant a lot. And if you think about different periods, Carter's absolutely right. Think of the windows you've had to really love Staples and hate Staples. Coming out of COVID, um, certainly COVID, Staples had a great run. They had pricing power. They had the ability to really pass stuff on. People were cooking at home. All this stuff that we know about. As we got into the boom, boom day, going into the end of 21 before the Fed started percolating, um, they were underperforming. Where did you want to be? You wanted to be back into growth. But for all of 22, Staples were a fantastic place to be. But it is about picking stocks. And if you think about some of the names that I think have underperformed even that group, those are the places you want to perform. You want to be, to me, uh, these are names either I'm positioned in or I think are very interesting. You've got a Hershey's. You've got, uh, you've got a dynamic around Tyson. You've got a dynamic around Pepsi. Uh, these are places that I think you actually have opportunities overall I love Walmart here. I think Walmart is is kind of a stock for all seasons because I they're kind of a growth stock even in their own space. Technology innovation looks good. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I mean, he just made a point that uh, Walmart, Costco, which is already in this group, also both of those are growing at well faster than the economy overall. And, you know, if you take a look at the Staples Index, the Staples Select Sector Index overall, this thing is actually trading pretty close to its, you know, bottom, the trough valuations. And probably for some of the rate reasons you just cited, uh, going back for the last 10 years. And if you look at Tyson, you could also look at some of the grocers too. These things are trading extremely cheap and that creates an immense margin of safety. So if you have benefited from owning NVIDIA and things like that, which we do, I think you want to own some of these as well. I think they create a nice balance. All right. There's a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Carvana shares putting the pedal to the metal. The company soaring back from the brink of bankruptcy and is now up nearly 600% over the last year. Is there more gas in the tank to keep this wild ride going higher? We'll look under the hood next. Plus, we're pitting the market's top dogs against the underdogs in another ultimate game of Would You Rather? Big Tech, Big Pharma, and Big Banks. The big names duke it out head to head. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. 
The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Let's get right to our chart of the week. It's Carvana. Shares are revving up after the company reported earnings and its first ever, ever annual profit. Carvana is up nearly 600% in the past year, but it's still way below its pandemic highs. Carter, what's your take on this trade? Yeah, I mean, obviously, this is a news-related pop, uh, earnings-related. We have a chart here, and it's a gap uh, that, uh, for now, I think won't be filled anytime soon. The real question, of course, this was almost a $400 stock, and here it is, what, trading at $69. So uh, can it ever, will it ever uh, reach those heights again? I would say no. And so the question is for a more immediate trading thing, what do you do when you've just been paid handsomely? Do you stay, and then if it gives it all back, that's a mess up. Do you sell it all, and then it follows through and keeps going? That's a mess up. And this is where you do both. I think you, you retain and sell calls, that kind of thing. All right, Tim. Companies had a huge uh, head start in the online auto space. Uh, their unit economics have gotten a whole lot better. They've become a lot more efficient um, after this kind of a move. I think you're, I think you're, I think you're neutral. I think some of this also helps by an auto industry that that has had a real resurgence. Not only macro dynamics, obviously internal combustion engine producers, whether it's Toyota, whether it's Mercedes, whether it's GM, people are starting to recognize the profitability in those core businesses. What do you think, Bonowin? Listen, it's hard for me to put, throw new money here. I will say them actually breaking through and reporting positively is certainly a tailwind. But I think this is a situation where you have a high, I think it's 30 to 33% short interest and negative sentiment leading into the print. So I tend to think the move is probably done for the interim. Uh, if anything, I'd probably be with Carter. Some, If I had to get involved, I'd find a way to kind of hedge, uh, hedge my bets I there. I can't talk about selling calls without bringing Mike in. Yeah, I think that uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. But I also don't think that there's a whole lot of upside. Just take a look at the short term paper Four year debt on this thing is still trading 78 cents on the dollar. So uh, there's a lot of speculation that's going on here. And I think that actually accounts for the big spike we saw today. All right. Well, coming up on the show, we're pitting the top dogs against the underdogs in the ultimate game of Would You Rather. Plus, it's always good to know your options. Co and Carter dig into the setup on two big names reporting next week and lay out a way to play those results. Fast Money is back after this. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks closing out a historic week of gains. Two of the three major averages posting records at the closing bell. The Dow ending the day about 60 points higher. The S&P crossing above the 5,100 mark for the first time today. 
Meanwhile, the Nasdaq closed in the red. All three averages, by the way, ended the week higher. Now, one stock to watch here is Warner Brothers Discovery, tumbling nearly 10% after delivering disappointing earnings results. The company didn't give free cash flow guidance, but said its max service turned a profit for the first time last year. Well, lots of notable winners this year, but that rising tide hasn't lifted all boats in their sectors. So would you rather stick with the winners or bet on a bounce back elsewhere? <clears throat> Let's start with the semiconductors. NVIDIA is up nearly 60% this year, while Intel has lost 14%. Tim, would you uh, well, rather? I mean, this is almost not fair. This is like the, the Davy versus Goliath uh, you know, game. And also, we just spent a whole block in the A block talking about and extolling the virtues here. I'll just say this. I'll take Intel. Uh, I would rather, based upon, I think, the relative progress. They had their foundry day a couple days ago. They're talking about the process, the progress on the AT&A, <laughs> the dynamics here around. It, it's a five-year process for a company that I think is very much under-owned. They talked about Microsoft as a new foundry you know, customer. So um, these are very, very small victories. There's no comparison to, it, to where NVIDIA is right now, but this is a company that I think has been priced as such. What do we think, Bonowin? That is a man with a good heart because yeah. he begrudgingly picked the new kid in the basketball pickup game. So kudos to Tim. Had to. It's clearly NVIDIA. He needed a friend. Show he me the money. It's all, it's all about yeah. GPUs, AI, and they have delivered on earnings and have guided. And that was really the concern. I really don't think this is a question. All right. Now let's move on to the banks. J.P. Morgan hitting another record today while Morgan Stanley is down more than 7% this year. Mike Coe, what do we think about the banks? Yeah, I think I'm going to go with uh, J.P. Morgan here. I mean, uh, I think this is, def you know, I mean, look, Morgan Stanley, they've done a lot of interesting things. They've migrated more towards asset management. And actually, that creates a tailwind on elevated uh, stock market prices. When, it, when asset prices rise, that helps them because they get paid in fees on AUM. But at the end of the day, I think J.P. Morgan is the name to be in in this space. All right, Carter, it's always been called the best of breed. Yeah, well, that's just it, right? And so just to put these numbers in perspective, from the dot-com peak to present, J.P. Morgan was 60 in 2000. It's now 180. It's tripled. Guess what Morgan Stanley is? Morgan Stanley is the exact same price it was in 2000. It's gone nowhere in 24 years. So the question is, do you stick with best in breed? Or do you say, hey, this thing Morgan Stanley is so bad, has made no progress in 24 years, maybe this is a catch-up trade. My hunch is to go with Morgan Stanley, it's just been so bad. All right, now be sure to catch CNBC's exclusive interview with J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon Monday, 12 p.m. Eastern Time. Must watch TV there. Up next here, we got Eli Lilly soaring 32% this year, while Pfizer is down over 3%. Mike Coe, Pharma, what do you think? Lily, I mean, there's two things that I think that matter here. One is that you want to see growth. Pfizer had a sort of a flash in the pan with the vaccines and then really fell down when it came to obesity and diabetes drugs relative to Lily. That is the growth area. If AI is a growth area in the semi-space, obesity and diabetes are the growth area for the pharma. Lily is the winner on this one. I mean, Tim. I'm in Nvidia the same fight. Tech, I mean, yeah. I'm in the same fight as I was. Bonwin had me picking the new kid, so <laughs> I, like, I'll, 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 I'll put this kid on my team, and I'll just say the last quarter they announced the revenues were, were actually better than expected, but it was all about uh, less spend. R and D is not what you necessarily want to see them do. I think the pipeline's interesting. Uh, I think the dynamic here is this is a company that's been priced uh, as if their COVID business was their only business, and they've invested in a lot. I'm long the name. All right, so let's go circle back to big tech. Meta is on a tear, up more than 36%, far outperforming Google parent company Alphabet. Carter, what do we think about this one? 
Well, that's right. So now Google has returned to its former high and is contending with that. And Meta's been the big outperformer. My hunch here, too, a little bit like the Morgan Stanley versus J.P. Morgan, is go with the laggard and play for catch-up. So I'm going to say Google over the other. All right, Bonwin, what do we think? Uh, admittedly, I like both of these companies here. Um, I just think Meta continues to likely outperform. Uh, I will acknowledge that Google's business is lar much larger. The revenue number is essentially twice as much. But Meta's uh, gross margin is probably 30% higher than that of, of Google. And if there is a pullback in ad spend, and those numbers that they delivered were remarkable, I, I just tend to think that if there's a pullback in ad spend, they will likely be the last person to hurt in that situation. I don't think many people even remember what Cambridge Analytica was. Anyway, coming up on the show, a double dose of options action, a big slate of earnings on deck. We lay out some options plays to trade those names. That's coming up next. And... Can you believe the bounce in Beijing stocks? We're heading overseas for this trade in just a few. And during the month of February, we're celebrating Black Heritage. And here's the president and CEO for the Society for HR Management. We often talk in our community about keeping it real. I, for one, want magic. You see, magic is what black history is all about. It's about celebrating people who achieved magical feats. Our ancestors did not focus on their reality. Instead, they dared to dream and then acted on those dreams. During this Black History Month, our community, particularly our young people, should commit to making magic. Welcome back to Fast Money, another huge week of earnings on deck and with some of the OGOA traders with us tonight. We wanted to lay down how to play some of those names with options. Let's kick it off with Salesforce reporting Wednesday. Carter, what are the charts telling you? Right, so we just got one chart here, and this is a circumstance that's quite similar to, for instance, Google versus Meta. A lot of stocks have returned to their former highs and have exceeded them, Meta, and a lot are just now approaching former highs, like Google. Our thinking here is that it pops on earnings and returns to that high of some two years ago. That would imply about a 6 to 7% move higher. All right. So, Mike Coe, what's the trade on Salesforce? Yeah, Salesforce, obviously the stock price has seen some appreciation lately. What has not appreciated, actually, is the company's valuation, which is pretty much price to sales, price to earnings, pretty much at 10-year lows. Since those 21 highs, actually, we've seen revenues increase by 62%. And right now, we're seeing the options market implying a move of about 7%. So they are fairly, if maybe a little bit highly priced. We're long this name. I think a call spread risk reversal is the way to play this. Uh, I was just looking out to April. Basically, you're going to sell a downside put and an upside call to help finance the purchase of an at-the-money call. In this case, it was the 270-300-330, basically figuring that once it gets to that prior high, it might contend with it for a little bit. And that's one of the reasons we don't mind selling a little bit of upside there. All right, so let's move on to Lowe's reporting Tuesday morning. Back over to you, Carter, about what do you think the charts say? Yeah, so this is an instance of a pretty substantial laggard that actually is perking up, showing some good relative strength this week. Um, and my thinking is higher. We do have a chart, and you have what you'd call converging trend lines. And right, so you're at the point, uh, the apex, the formation where you get a resolution. Now, I've drawn the arrow up. I'm sure many might say that's the wrong direction. Carter's going down, but that's what makes a market. I'm a buyer. All right, Mike, what's the trade there? Yeah, we own this one, too. We own this and Home Depot going into depot earnings. And I'm coming up with a trade that's fairly similar. And again, my view on the valuation is also similar. This is actually trading it less than 18 times. I was also looking out to April buying an at-the-money call and then financing that with the sale of two nearer dated options, in this case in March. 
So it's kind of like the call spread risk reversal before, but trying to look at the accelerated decay of those near dated options, the 220, 230, 240. Now, this isn't for even money, but those near dated options will, will decay away more quickly than the longer dated one that you own. All right, Tim, what do we think about these two? I'll tell you, Home Depot is cautious in their guide. I think Lowe's will be cautious in their guide. DIY weakness is offset by pro strength. I, I, I tell you, of the two, um, Home Depot has been outperforming. Carter brings up a, a real move higher in that Lowe's chart. But that Home Depot chart is also breaking higher. The, the fundamentals at Home Depot warrant the higher multiple. Uh, I stay there. All right, Bonowin, of those two trades, what do we think? Uh, in terms of the trades, I, I always like when Mike comes up with these trades where he's selling shorter dated options and buying longer dated optionality. It just gives you a lot of flexibility. If you are wrong or you don't get the move that you expect, there's a lot that you can do. And you essentially own the optionality in that whole uh, package there. All right. And Mike Co. last word to you here. Yeah, I mean, that's basically the idea. We want to have a little bit of convexity out long and take advantage of the fact that actually compared to uh, the index, single stock options are very fairly or maybe a little richly priced right now. All right, there's the options action for you guys. Coming up on the show, a check on China. Shanghai stocks making a comeback this month, so is it high time for investors to buy into that trade? That's next. And here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam right now. Jim's chatting exclusively with the CEO of Tanger. Catch that full interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money with Jim Kramer. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Chinese stocks are rising for the ninth straight session today, rebounding from five-year lows last month. So has the sell-off in these stocks actually hit the bottom? Tim, what do we think? Well, Carter talks about charts that are so bad they're good. I'll, I'll talk about positioning that's so bad it's good. If you look at the top 40 global funds that have China exposure, they're at 11-year lows back to before China A shares were brought into the MSCI. If you look at EM dedicated funds, they're probably six and a half to seven points below their weighting. By the way, great for Brazil, great for Mexico, great for Turkey. Other places, I think, actually have interesting macro stories. So uh, the dynamic around China, we all know part of it is the macro, but a lot of it is just they don't feel safe. They've just appointed a new securities regulator. Uh, that's something that also makes it look as if they're spending some more time trying to make things a little bit more investor friendly. We know their version of the plunge protection team. Uh, what do they call it? They call it the uh, the national team is what they're calling is in buying ETFs. And we've seen that Chinese banks have outperformed. I'm a big believer. Anybody that has money to allocate over the next couple of years. And this is what we're doing for people in China right now. Um, I, I love China. This here. is like a falling knife, though. Right. Carter. I mean, well, no, I mean, Tim's on to something here. And I, I, I mean, he, he's speaking basically about money flow and positioning is that and where sometimes it's so lopsided that it's right to take the road less traveled. The key here is that FXI went right to its October low of 2022, the low for global equities, and then ha has held so that all global equities are up off their October 22 low substantially. But this index, FXI, this ETF, went back to it, and we have the makings of a double bottom. So I think it's right uh, to do, uh, to hold one's nose, if you want to say it that way, <laughs> and do some buying. You know, Bonowin, <laughs> Tim brings up the national team, right? Mm. This is the same national team that waged a war on big tech in China within the last two to three years. I don't know who to believe. Yeah, it was definitely an own goal with that move. Um, so I'm not exactly sure <laughs> if I'm right here. I've been burned on this China trade. I thought at one point they had already priced in uh, the apocalyptic type of move. But uh, to Carter's point, this is currently trading, valuations aside, because those are basement bottom levels. This is essentially where we were when things were at their absolute worst from a global standpoint. I, 
I can't I can't come up with a scenario where things actually get worse. So I think, yeah, perhaps you buy this up for a bounce. And Mike Coe, are you seeing anything traffic wise with regard to that options trade that lends you to believe some of these big cap tech names or even ETFs like FXI or or, you know, some of the other K-Webs are, are starting to see some flows into them? Well, uh, the stocks themselves have become options because they've gotten, as Bonwin was just talking about, so cheap. We own JD and we own BABA. Both are trading in the high single digits in terms of multiples, and they're pretty much bouncing around the bottom here. I mean, I think in the case of BABA, maybe it was about 20% lower, you know, nine years ago or whenever it first basically became available to us. So to me, I think that just, you know, risk reward here, you know, can throw a little bit of money at it if it does, you know, if we did see some things clear up you have a lot of potential upside. All right, there's the China trade, you guys. Coming up on the show, your final trades. Keep it right here. Welcome back. we got a news alert on Citigroup, an update to the costs associated with its reorg. Let's get to Bertha Coombs for the details. Bertha. Dom, Citi says it expects to incur additional costs related to that organizational simplification in the first quarter of 2024. Additionally, it says it expects to incur higher net credit losses this year, primarily due to higher cards nets. Uh, credit loss rates, which they expect to rise above pre-pandemic levels, although they do expect on a full year basis to they will peak this year. Those higher net credit losses is already reflected in the company's allowance for credit losses that uh, they showed on uh, loans outstanding for balances at December 31. Back to you. All right, Bertha, the expectation of higher net credit losses in 2024 for City. We appreciate that news. It's time for now our final trade. Let's go around the horn. So, Mike Coe, first to you. Yeah, INDA, that's the India ETF by calls June or September. All right, Carter. Abercrombie & Fitch, it's lost its mind. It's up 3x the QQQ over the past three years. Sell it all. All right, Bonowin. Interesting. Sell it all. So there's been a lot of discussion around buying dips on the on the table today, and I would resist the urge to do that in Rivian. Okay, and Tim. Don, first of all, thanks for being here. You, Good to it's be here. Great, great for you to give up your Friday afternoon and have fun with us. Walmart, uh, they are having a lot of fun. I think this is a story that deserves a higher multiple. All right, there's your final trades. Thanks for watching Fast Money. I hope everyone has a great weekend. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.